Section 14 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 6. Edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Zoology. Chapter 9. The Vertebrates, Part 4. Mammals, Part 2. The cetaceans are mammals which have become adapted to marine life and assumed a fish-like form, lost their hair, converted the forelimbs into paddles, lost the hind limbs entirely, and converted the tail into a swimming organ. They are only superficially like fish. The skeleton and internal organs, the quality of the muscles, the teeth, are all those of land mammals and widely different from fish. They are warm-blooded, bring forth their young alive, and nurse them after the manner of land quadrupeds. The brain is far superior to that of any fish, and the intelligence is of a much higher order than that of fishes. The intelligence of the dolphin seems to have been noticed by men in prehistoric times, for it appears in Greek mythology as the friend and active helper of man. The cetaceans include the largest of known animals, living or extinct, the whale-bone whales and sperm whales, and the numerous smaller active species of which the dolphins and porpoises are most familiar. The order is divided into two groups. The whale-bone whales, mysticitae, are toothless, and provided with fringed plates of whalebone which act as a sieve to catch and retain in the mouth the minute crustaceans etc upon which the animal feeds there are several kinds of these whales all of gigantic size in the right whales balaena the head is more arched and the whalebone plates and fringes longer in the rorquals Balaenoptera, the whalebone plates are smaller, and the animal is longer-bodied, the head less gigantic. There is a dorsal fin, or hump, not present on the right whales, whence the name of finner and humpback apply to different species, and the throat has a series of longitudinal furrows. The species of balaena reach a length of forty to seventy feet with an enormous bulk. The rorquals, though somewhat less massive, attain even greater size. A large sulfur-bottom whale will reach seventy-five to eighty-five feet in length and weigh about seventy-five tons. A skeleton in the Museum of Christchurch, New Zealand, is reported as measuring eighty-seven feet in total length, the skull alone being twenty-one feet long. The danger and romance of whaling are departed, and it has become a merciless butchery, which bids fair soon to extinguish utterly the largest and most magnificent of living animals. The whalebone, which is now the only practical object of the pursuit, seems a pitifully inadequate compensation for their extinction. The toothed cetaceans, odontocetes, have no baleen plates, but the jaws are set with sharp-pointed, recurved teeth, adapted to seize and hold the fish and other swift-swimming marine animals on which they prey. 
the sperm whale, or cacolot, attains a size almost rivaling the whalebone whales. Fifty-five to sixty feet is a conservative estimate of the length, and of this nearly a third is the gigantic, blunt-snouted head. In the cavities of the skull are stored vast quantities of fluid fat, the spermaceti of commerce. From the sperm whale is also obtained the rare and valuable substance ambergris used in the preparation of perfumes. Unlike the whalebone whales, which are confined to the cold temperature in Arctic seas, the sperm whale chiefly inhabits the tropical oceans. Its food is chiefly cuttlefish, and it is said to especially seek the gigantic octopus which lives far beneath the surface of the deep seas and has so rarely been seen by man that it was till recently regarded as a fabulous monster bullen in the cruise of the cacolot has given a fascinating account of a combat between these giants of the deep the spermaceti oil and amigris of the cacolot are the objects of a considerable fishery which, however, does not at present threaten the extinction of the animal. The first two products are found in the other toothed cetaceans, but in smaller quantities. The dolphins and porpoises, and their allies, are common in all parts of the world, mostly marine, but some of them inhabiting the great tropical rivers. The largest of the dolphin group is the grampus, or killer, a fierce, predaceous species which reaches a length of thirty feet. The killer preys upon seals and porpoises, and several will combine to attack one of the larger whales. Another remarkable form is the narwhal, in which the teeth are reduced to a single long twisted tusk, projecting forward from the head to a length of six or seven feet. The purpose of this twisted tusk is not certainly known. Among the numerous fossil cetaceans, the most interesting are the zooglodonts, a primitive group which served to connect the cetacea with the land quadrupeds of the early tertiary, especially with primitive carnivora and carnivorous insectivores. Although marine and fish-like in form, the teeth and skull characters approach more nearly to those of early carnivorous land mammals, from which they were no doubt derived. They have been found in the Eocene formations of Alabama and more recently in Egypt. Among the living relics of prehistoric animals preserved to this day in the isolated southern continents, the so-called Edentates are not the least interesting. The tree sloths are sluggish, stupid creatures, covered with long greenish-brown hair, which inhabit the Brazilian forests, hanging upside down from the trees by their long, curved claws, feeding upon leaves, and moving slowly and cautiously from bough to bough, and protected by their likeness in color and appearance to the mossy green lichen-covered branches around them. The armadillos are covered by bony plates embedded in the skin, forming a rigid buckler at each end of the body, with bands of movable plates between, so that the animal can roll up into an armor-covered ball. They are fossorial animals, 
active diggers and are found in all parts of south america and as far north as southern texas the anteaters also south american are covered with long shaggy hair toothless with long snouts and slender protrusible tongue and powerful claws to tear down the nests of the ants on which they are especially adapted to feed these creatures are all of moderate size the largest being the great anteater seven feet in length including the long bushy tail the term edentates or toothless animals applies strictly to the anteaters only the others have teeth although they lack enamel the living edentates are the remnants of a race which flourished greatly in south america during the age of mammals while that region was an island continent protected by ocean barriers from the incursions of the more highly developed mammals of the northern world some of the extinct edentates the great ground sloths and glyptodonts attained gigantic size the megatherium almost rivaled an elephant in bulk and was extraordinarily massive in skeleton its allies the mylodons were somewhat smaller these huge animals were nearest to the tree sloths in structure but were much too large to have lived in trees they are supposed to have used their gigantic claws in digging up and uprooting trees upon whose foliage they fed the glyptodonts or tortoise armadillos were covered with armor a massive solid carapace without the movable bands of the armadillo and the feet hoofed instead of clawed they had very efficient grinding teeth and were presumably grazing animals some of them equaled a rhinoceros in bulk certain of these gigantic animals appear to have survived in patagonia almost to historic time and to have been actually domesticated by the indians of that region the native legends tell of gigantic animals which correspond not very accurately with the mylodon as it must have appeared in life and in a cave at last hope inlet in patagonia there were recently found parts of the skin well preserved and almost fresh together with the droppings of a mylodon and chopped grass on which it is supposed to have been fed the indications being that the animals were kept confined in a part of the cave the order insectivora includes the hedgehogs moles shrews and many less familiar animals the living insectivores are the scattered remnants of an ancient race of mammals from whose earlier members were evolved the higher and more intelligent races which have mostly displaced them in the struggle for existence the survivors are protected by spiny armor or nauseous taste or by burrowing habits or else inhabit remote fringes of the continents or large islands where they have escaped from the competition of higher types all the insectivora are small or minute animals with teeth adapted to a diet of insects which form their principal food the best known of the insectivores are the hedgehogs covered with a prickly coat and like the armadillos able to roll themselves up into a ball which defies the assaults of any ordinary beast of prey the moles strictly subterranean and almost blind 
the four limbs converted into a very powerful and efficient digging instrument, and the shrews, less specialized for burrowing, but protected by their nocturnal habits and nauseous taste. Few birds or animals will touch a shrew. The owl is almost the only one that preys upon it. Hedgehogs, moles, and shrews inhabit the northern continents, hedgehogs being restricted to the old world. Various other insectivores, more or less related to these, but mostly less specially protected, are found in South and West Africa, in the East and West Indies, and in Madagascar, and one species, at least, formerly existed in South America. In the early part of the age of mammals, the insectivores were far more numerous, and some larger of size, and they had not then developed the various extreme specializations by which the surviving members of the order have managed to prolong their existence. The higher mammals, in the opinion of Huxley, were probably derived from some of these very primitive, unspecialized insectivores. The bats, order Chiroptera, are usually regarded as related to the insectivores, but they are the most isolated and highly specialized of all mammals in relation to their habits of flight. In adaptation to this purpose, the forelimbs, and especially the fingers, are greatly elongated, the hind limbs reduced and slender, twisted around so that the knee projects backward and a thin flexible wing membrane extends from the sides of the body to the tips of the fingers and from the front of the forearm to the hind limbs and usually to the tail the pectoral muscles which move the wings are greatly enlarged as they are in flying birds the thumb and the five toes of the hind foot are tipped with slender curved claws by which the animal suspends himself when at rest generally hanging upside down. Dr. W. L. Hahn, who has recently studied the habits of cave bats, observes, they have no nests, dens, or fixed homes. They have few enemies. Consequently, fear is little developed. About five-sixths of the bat's entire existence is spent in a dormant condition. A large amount of fat is favorable to torpor. In the caves, where conditions of light and temperature are constant, bats come to the cave entrance at irregular intervals. The length of time between these intervals depends upon the amount of surplus fat stored in the body. Food consists of insects that are caught on the wing. Hearing and the tactile sense are chiefly relied upon to perceive and locate food. Bats are more helpless on their feet than most birds. In the air they have greater agility they can check their momentum very quickly in flight they can secure hold of a surface only slightly rough with a single thumb or with one foot neither sight nor the external ears are necessary for the perception of obstacles during flight such are perceived chiefly through the sense organs located in the internal ear but the body hairs have probably a sensory function as well Perception is probably due to the condensation of the atmosphere between the moving animal and the object which it is approaching. It is difficult to explain how they find their way by means of the five senses familiar to us. The presence of a sixth sense, that of direction, will explain all the facts, but it has not been conclusively shown that such a sense exists. 
There are two principal groups of bats. The large fruit bats inhabit the East Indies, Africa and Madagascar, Australia, and many of the Pacific Islands, feeding upon fruit and hanging from branches of trees when not on the wing. The smaller insectivorous bats are much better known and are cosmopolitan in their distribution. The ears are large and complex, and many kinds possess peculiar leafy outgrowths from the nostrils which aid in perception of objects around, somewhat as do the antennae of ants, save that it is the sense of touch that is elaborated instead of that of smell. While most of them live on insects, a few are frugivorous or carnivorous, and the South American Desmodus, the true vampire bat, is a bloodsucker, fastening upon men or animals during sleep and inflicting severe wounds with serious loss of blood, without awakening the sleeper, by means of its keen-edged front teeth. The cave-haunting habits of modern bats are familiar, and their fossil remains have been found in ancient cave and crevice formations as far back as the early part of the tertiary period. All the extinct species are closely related to modern kinds and show nothing of the evolution of this singular group of mammals. They are probably of very ancient origin. Next above insectivores in the scale of life may be placed the rodents, including the rats and mice, squirrels, porcupines, rabbits, etc. This group of mammals, although comparatively low in scale of organization, is very abundant and varied, and highly successful in the battle of life. Their success may be ascribed to their great fecundity, their adaptability to changing conditions of life, and their readiness to combine together in social relations not generally very complex, yet each serving to assist the others to a considerable extent. Whatever be the reasons, the rodents are by far the most numerous of the orders of mammals, both as to species and individuals. Nearly all are of small size. They are distributed all over the world, a few even reaching Australia, and are terrestrial, arboreal, fossorial, or amphibious in their habits. None of them is marine, and none is able to fly although some have membranous expansions of the skin which can be stretched like parachutes in taking long, soaring leaps from tree to tree. The limbs and feet are mostly of primitive type, five-toed, tipped with claws, and the animal walks on the sole of the foot. The teeth are peculiar in the conversion of one pair of incisors in each jaw into gnawing teeth and disappearance of all the other front teeth. The cheek teeth are adapted to crushing or grinding. Rodents live mainly upon seeds, roots, nuts, fruits, or upon grasses or the bark of trees, but they are by no means averse to insect or animal food. More than half of the living species of mammals belong to this order. It is divided into four groups, of which the squirrels, porcupines, rats, and rabbits serve as types. The squirrel group includes the squirrels, marmots, beavers, pocket gophers, and their allies. 
the arboreal squirrels are the most intelligent and attractive of rodents and are found all over the world save in australia and madagascar their long bushy tails neat smooth fur and often handsome coloring and their restless activity and chatter offset their occasional depredations on birds nests the marmots woodchucks gophers prairie dogs etc are nearly related to the tree squirrels but terrestrial and more or less burrowing in habit adapted to live in open country and in temperate or arctic climates the beavers are more distantly related they are a small group of highly specialized habits large-brained and intelligent for rodents there are only two living species the european and american beaver as is well known they live in colonies in artificial lakes which they construct by damming streams with logs brush and mud each family making a nest or burrow in or beside the shallow waters of the pond accessible by an underwater entrance both species have been hunted almost to extinction for their fur a large extinct relative of the beaver castoroides lived in north america during the glacial epoch equaling the black bear in size but nothing is known of its habits except that it remains are mostly found in ancient swamps and pond bottoms during the tertiary period small animals related to the beaver stenofiber were common both in europe and north america but their habits were like those of the modern prairie dogs they constructed elaborate winding corkscrew-like burrows and the remains of these burrows filled in by sand and petrified are known in the west as devil's corkscrews it is not easy to see how the peculiar habits of the aquatic beavers could have evolved from those of burrowing ancestors but they were perhaps a side branch not directly ancestral the pocket gophers and pocket mice of north america are intermediate between the squirrel and rat groups of rodents they get their name from the large cheek pockets in which they carry food and transport earth from their burrows the pocket gophers are completely subterranean equaling the mole in their digging powers but living on vegetable food the pocket mice are terrestrial and some of them active leapers the gerboas and their relatives are also specialized for leaping rather than running but are more nearly related to the rats and porcupines than to the squirrels they inhabit the northern continents and africa mostly living in open plains or desert regions the most abundant of the rodent groups are the rats and mice and their relatives these are found all over the world a few have even penetrated to australia and to various oceanic islands which few or none of the other mammals have contrived to reach they are nearly all of small size living upon all kinds of plant food and often more or less omnivorous adapting themselves very readily to varying conditions of life and endowed with great fecundity their depredations upon crops upon stored grain upon household supplies the damage they do by girdling trees for the edible inner bark cause 
enormous losses in various fields of human activity so that they rank with noxious insects in their economic importance birds of prey are their chief natural enemies more efficient in general than any artificial check on their increase the porcupine group of rodents are represented by two or three large spiny coated species in the northern continents but their headquarters are in south america where they include the cavies and chinchillas viscaches agutis capybaras and many others of which the largest the capybara reaches the size of a pig quite a number of this group of rodents inhabit africa and during the tertiary period they were the only rodents in south america and one extinct genus is estimated to have attained the size of an ox much beyond that of any other rodent the last group of rodents are the hares rabbits and pikas worldwide in distribution but most familiar and abundant in the north temperate and subarctic regions in australia and new zealand they have been introduced by the white settlers and have thriven and multiplied exceedingly so as to be a serious pest in the absence of their natural enemies their limbs and feet are more specialized for speed than in most rodents although the rabbit-like cavies and chinchillas of south america show a corresponding adaptation end of chapter nine part two end of section fourteen